Today, we are breaking the cycle with Joshua Brown. Joshua is a testament to the resilience of the human spirit. You're going to meet Joshua, a man molded by adversity and trauma and nurtured by a loving yet struggling single mother. You're going to hear Joshua's story. And the way he shares it, you're going to hear how his early years were full of turmoil, poor choices, and absent role models, but how a wake-up call ignited a transformation within him and in his life. Now a father and successful entrepreneur, Joshua is a living compass for his family. He's shattered the cycle of hardship, becoming the role model that he never had. Through heartfelt family worship and soul-wrenching devotion, he has made mindful parenting not just a goal, but a mission. Joshua is the pressure-washing preacher, founding and running one of the largest pressure-washing companies in the United States. Today, I don't want you to miss this inspiring episode where Joshua is going to dive into how you can be an intentional parent grounded in faith and principles, and also an intentional business owner where you can bring ministry into the marketplace. This conversation with Joshua Brown on the DMD podcast starts right now. You are listening to the Dads Making a Difference podcast, the number one podcast for men driven to live a life of significance. Men who want to make a difference in the lives of their families, in their business, and in the world around them. My name is Cam Hall, founder of Fight the Dabot and leader of the Dads Making a Difference Mastermind. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now, let's dive in. Joshua, welcome to the Dads Making a Difference podcast. How are you doing today? I'm far better than I deserve. I love that response. I love that response. Joshua, I had the pleasure of meeting you through a past guest. So Curtis Honeycutt, we were just chatting about him a little bit off uh, off record here. But Curtis has been a past guest and he's like, man, you need to talk to this guy. You need to reach out. Uh, we're also part of the same mastermind group, which is an incredible opportunity uh, for men to connect with each other. But Joshua, I want to open up right now and say that I'm excited for this conversation because there are a lot of guys who come on who have, I'll say like they have an agenda. There's something they're working on. There's something they're pitching right now. Um, but for you, your your life story, which you've been through, you're a busy, busy dad and, and you're on a mission. And I thought that was so timely to bring to the the show and to our community at this time. So Joshua, why don't you open up and, and share a little bit about your story with the guys who are listening? Wow. And how many hours do we have to unpack this story? Yeah, yeah we got time. Yeah. All right. So what I normally do is I just start with my mom and kind of move quickly from there. And then if you end up wanting to hack away at something, feel free to do so. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I'm 40, what, six years old. I've got six kids, 21, 19, uh, 17, 15, six, and one. And Whoa. it's uh, a wife that we've been married for 25 years. Congratulations. So she was four when we got married. Not just kidding, but uh, um, I kind of have been in ministry for 22 years vocationally and left ministry in 2020 um, inside the church doors for outside the church doors. But um, for me, my story begins um, with my mom. Um, she was adopted mm -hmm. into uh, a family from Kalamazoo, Michigan, all the way down to Rivergate, uh, if, which is Madison, Tennessee. It's kind of a uh, the hood of Nashville, uh, Tennessee. 
there's a uh, Hooters and a Waffle House uh, right behind where she was adopted into. Uh, just in case you're looking for food options next time you're at River, <laughs> Rivergate. And uh, and some people, when they get adopted, they have an incredible story. And I'm so thankful for those who have adopted, uh, that have chosen to love somebody that was in a situation that wasn't. Uh, but for my mom, she ended up getting adopted by a family that maybe didn't know how to express love properly. Um, her dad would go to prison by that time he was, she was 13 for things that he was doing to her and her mom was addicted to pain medication and alcohol. And so from the, the get go, my mom had nobody, you know, and all the dudes that she had known had probably, you know, more or less taken advantage of her. By the time she's 15, she gets pregnant with this guy right here. And, uh, and when my father found out that he was going to be having a boy instead of celebrating, tying a knot on it, he did the exact opposite. He said, I'll pay for his abortion, but I won't be in his life. Mm. And uh, my mom originally agreed 15, didn't have a big family support adopted, not a network, you know, not wealthy. And uh, she agreed. And maybe a week or two went by and she ended up saying, I cannot kill this thing that is inside of me. So she went over to my father's mom's home and, and shared the news that, Hey, I'm pregnant. And uh, that mom, instead of, you know, correcting, beating down the, her son saying, you're going to step up, dude, you know, instead of doing that, called my mom a whore and said that she had did this on purpose. 15 year old girl wow. did this on purpose. Um, from there, um, uh, my mom ended up staying good to her word. She had me and we grew up on the streets. We grew up homeless. Um, we lived in soup kitchens. We lived, lived in church fellowship halls. We lived in projects, different dudes. Like uh, she married a couple of times and the, the life that I lived as a child was very unstable um, you know, so anyway, a lot that I could unpack there. If any, if you want to go there later, you know, you can yeah. mark that and I'll come back, but it's, it's, it's things that are shameful, uh, to experience. And it's, if it, you don't work through it, you'll never get through it. And so, uh, by the time I'm 17, um, I'm fast forwarding quite a bit. By the time I'm 17, I'm a drug dealer, pothead, high school dropout in Winston, Salem, North Carolina. Uh, go, you know, we've got lots of football and ACC um, over there, but uh, Wake, Wake Forest and, and what, do you even know the Demon Dinkins or anything? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm a UNC fan, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I lived in, in Carolina and, and so forth. And so I was a Carolina fan as well. Love Notre Dame football and Carolina yeah, basketball, good. but you're from Canada. So I didn't know where your allegiance were. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so. From there, um, live that lifestyle. And by the time I'm 19, I'm in a car wreck. I'm following a friend of mine named Pookie. He has a 3000 GT Stealth. Mm -hmm. I have a Honda Prelude, uh, four tens, four mids, tweets, uh, lots of amps. And he ran a yellow light and I ran a red light taking a left. And while I ran a red light taking a left, there was a, a Ford Ranger, which was green, that ran the red light as well. It was like a Dukes of Hazard scene. Uh, the truck ran the red light going straight and we ended up colliding in the middle. My, everything in the car came down on top of me. I ended up uh, inside a, a neighbor's yard and the car went look like a banana. Two wheels popped off. I deny medical care because I've got, you know, weed in my system. That's back when DARE was real popular. 
war against drugs. And I said, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. And as I sat there at the gas station watching, you know, medical teams and ambulances and people staring at the camp at, at my car, I remember having like a vivid memory of just watching people shake their heads like an older lady was just shaking her head from that moment. I feel like God started speaking to me hmm. and, and there was a song by Tupac Shakur called heaven for a G and I knew enough theology while I'm listening to it. And I'm like, dude, the way I'm living, there is no heaven for a dude like me. And, uh, you know, with, with God speaking to me, like, Hey, you're, if you would have died in that car wreck, your friends would have smoked a blunt for you would have tipped their cups. I'm like, dude, I'm a loser. Like I have nobody that I'm making a difference or an impact in my life. And so I showed up at the last night of revival, maybe two months later, three months later, revival is this like week long church service okay. where everybody invites the worst people they know and pray to God that they get saved. And so I'm in the last night of revival. I've got my girlfriend with me and I'm sitting in the back of um, the sanctuary. It's pews, you know, with the red you know, cushions on it. And I felt God just whisper so richly inside of my heart. And, and, and he basically, he didn't say, Joshua, you're a loser. You're a failure. You're going to hell. Um, Could have worked, you know, but that's not what he said. He said, Joshua, I love you. And when I felt it, I believed it. And man, I looked at my girlfriend. I said, I wish this preacher would quit preaching and just open up the altar. I'm ready to give my life uh, back to God. And uh, he finally stopped preaching which is a, a good note for all preachers. Sometimes you just need to stop <laughs> and open up the altars. <laughs> and I uh, went forward, gave the pastor my pot, gave God my heart. And that was when I was 19 years old. From there, I went and got a GED, pastoral ministries degree, Christian counseling. I started having babies, working inside of churches. Um, started thinking about this thing of like, what does it look like to be an intentional father? Um, once I started having kids, I started getting convicted that it's not the church's job to disciple my kids. It's kind of my job. Um, Mark Driscoll was, uh, very prominent, uh, during my fatherhood age. And I resonated with the way he, he presented the gospel. And so I started listening to Acts 29, started following Tim Keller and Matt Chandler and Piper and Driscoll and all the reform dudes. And I was in the Nazarene church. But uh, as I started listening, I started reading more books, never took my faith, like my my devotion to discipleship as a serious until I started having kids and realizing that's my job. And uh, I realized that it's not the church's job. And I'm in ministry and I'm like, it's not the church's job to disciple the kids. Those are those are my kids. God's called me to be the primary influence inside their lives. And so I started reading Vadi Bakum, uh, Family Driven Faith. Don't know if you ever heard of that book, but great book for anybody that wants to learn what it looks like to be an intentional dad. We started catechizing our kids, you know, teaching them you know, like who made you, why did he make you, and you know, how do you glorify God? Just simple, basic catechisms of the faith, things that I thought were like not godly. I was like, man, who catechizes? That sounds bananas. And then I started catechizing. I'm like, man, this makes sense. I am the primary influence. I'm discipling my kids. And so from there, I've served in ministry for, you know, 22 years, worked at seven different churches, Quaker church, uh, church plants, Nazarene and Wesleyan churches have been where I've served at. And then about seven years ago, opened up this little side hustle 
I started getting burnout working inside church and I, you know, I started feeling like I was growing other people's kingdom and not the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And I really was this kid that gave his life to Jesus to be and make disciples. And I started understanding that discipleship takes place best life on a life. And I started getting jealous over people who taught sports, to be honest with you. I was like, man, why do why am I a youth pastor when these coaches get like 30 hours a week with these students? They can make way bigger of an impact than I can. And but that was a youth pastor versus sports mindset. And uh I ended up saying, man, if I wasn't in ministry, what would I do? And I ended up Googling top five businesses to open with five thousand dollars or less. And that's where the taking pictures of cats or start a pressure washing company came into to being. <laughs> And I went down and visited a friend of mine, uh, pressure washed with him for a half a day. He made more legal money than I had ever seen before, 800 bucks in four hours. And I'm like, bro, you are a rich dude. I'd be delivering pizzas, work, waiting tables and inside of ministry and not make that kind of money in a week, man. And so uh, from there, went back 2016, started pressure washing while being in ministry, did that for three years, uh, four years before I left. We did 225000 my first full year, 443000 the second year. Um, what was it? Four, 700000 the next, and almost a million dollars uh, in year four. And that's when I was like, man, I'm finding so much joy inside the marketplace that I'm going to to leave ministry. I think it's safe. I think I provide for my family. The caveat inside that, when I left ministry inside the church, I no longer identified myself as a pastor. You know, mm-hmm. I was I was not in the pulpit. I didn't have a position at a church. And so therefore, I'm not a pastor. I start as you grow a company, you start getting reached out by investors. And I had uh, an investor reach out and say, hey, would you be interested in some money for equity in the company and so forth? And I'm like, I don't need that. I really need a salesman because I'm not a salesman. I just love people wherever I am. And they say yes. And I pretty much pressure wash for free. And, uh, and then he said, well, I've got a, a network that we meet with in Nashville. It's uh, we meet at the standard largest gathering of seven figure pressure washing companies in the country. And why don't you start coming to that every quarter? And so I started coming and then they ended up saying the following, they said, hey, there, that guy over there is the pressure washing pastor. <laughs> and I'm like, why are they calling me the pressure washing pastor? I'm not a pastor. They don't understand that you have to be ordained. You have to be in a position. You have to preach in order to be a pastor. And about a year later, and I might be sharing way more than I want you want me to on the open, but about a year later, um, I started asking God, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? And he says, do for others what I've done for you. And so I was like, okay, that would be a joy. You know, my goal is to be a disciple and make disciples. So how can I reproduce what you've done in me and others? And uh, he started saying, hey, you know, why don't you call it the Pressure Washing Pastor Network? Look for co-vocational, bivocational, faith-driven entrepreneurs and invite them into the brand of Brown's Pressure Washing and give them the blueprint the um, coaching and the brand to grow the largest pressure washing company in, in America led by disciple makers. Amazing. Amazing. And I'm, I'm glad you've shared all that story. You know, I, one of the things that I've learned, Joshua, there's times to interrupt and ask a question and dig deeper than there's times to let someone just tell their story. Cause it's powerful. 
and your story, there's a time for us to listen. And I want to thank you for going in, but there's a ton to unpack here. So we are going to circle back. I, I think about your upbringing. I think about uh, your upbringing and how it's such a contrast to you now being married for 25 years and having six kids and going into ministry. There's a point in everyone's life where something happens and you had this critical incident, this car wreck that seems to be the point. Um, but I want to go to this week of revival because you shared that it's where somebody brings anybody who needs the most help. Who brought you to, to that event? You know, it was my mom, you know, was we were mom? at a, yeah, it was my mom. It was Kernsville Wesleyan church. It was a church that had, uh, gone to youth in when we transitioned to from Nashville to Kernersville, which is right outside Winston-Salem. And, uh, I'm, you know, the thing about being in this life is when you're down and out, you know where to go yeah. and it's to the Lord or it's to his people. And so I, I feel like God was wooing me if that's a term that we're, we can use, but he was wooing me, um, back to him. I feel like he saved me when I was like eight years old. I had a crazy encounter with, with God when I was eight. And I feel like he reminded me of his love and his grace at that moment of the car wreck and through the revival and through this uh, relationship that we now have. And your mom had such an impact in your life. For sure. She doesn't, let me, yeah. let me interject that real yeah. quick. She doesn't realize that she carries the weight of all the bad things that she did. And yeah. she really struggles with forgiving herself mm. of our childhood uh, or my childhood. And I don't think about it a bit like I'm gratitude. But when I when I'm with my mom, I can tell that she still hasn't forgiven herself. Yeah. And this would be a great spot that, man, whatever we've done inside of our lives, for better or for worse, when we come to Christ, it's 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 all surrendered unto him, you know, and so I, I wish that she and then maybe those that are listening would be reminded that we're no longer held captive by our past and, and that we can live free for the future because of what God has done in our lives. Yeah. And what a future you had at that point, you know, the after of the conversation, you know, we don't know the story that's laid out in front of us until we live it out. And even though your mom is the one who, man, she went through some hard times We're probably raising you. <laughs> and it sounds like you were a handful. Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment and talk about our community of DMD brothers in the DMD mastermind. We are men who help each other to stay focused and intentional in our pursuits of personal, professional, physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual growth. We are a community of men who bring courage, wisdom, and transparency to unfiltered conversations that challenge us to be more impactful men. To be, dads making a difference. We do this through our online and in-person events where men come together to speak into each other's lives and then turn around and do the deep work to create change in their families, in their businesses, and in the community around them. If you are wondering if this community might be right for you, you can find more information on the DMD Mastermind, and you can also book a call directly with me at dmdmastermind.com. Now, let's get back to our show. <laughs> so, um, does like how, how do you connect in that time? You're a teenager, you're going through these struggles, 
were you always like closely connected to your mom? I want to lean on your mom for a second. I know this is dad's making a difference, but I'll lean on your mom for a second because I had a really strong relationship with my mom. And I think it, there's a power of mothers in the development of good fathers. What was your relationship like with your mom during these times where you, you were a dropout drug dealer struggling? So my mom and I had a phenomenal relationship until maybe I, I had a girlfriend. Okay. Okay. And then I started pursuing that direction versus, you know, my mom. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I later asked her, I said, Hey, why did you choose to give me life? And this kind of gets to the root of her story. She said, I had never been loved and I had never loved anything. If I had the ability to love, I was going to love you. So the nagging thought in the back of her head or heart when she knew that she was pregnant is when this thing comes out, I'm going to love it. You can't control what happens, but you can control what you do with what happens. And for whatever reason, she chose to give me life. Um, maybe about eight years later, we are living with a dude um who is abusive and um uh, my mom didn't want to live anymore and so she ended up uh, not eating and she ended up trying to starve herself to death and she was inside of a hospital and i was left at home with this dude and uh, in the projects and um the dude was not a good guy at all, but I remember him holding a knife to me and he had me uh, make a phone call to my mom and uh, I didn't know what was going on. I'm like this, you know, eight year old kid, just imagine. And I gave my mom a call. I didn't know where she was or what was going on, but he told me to say, I miss you. I want you to come back home. Um, there, I did not know all the details of what was going on, but he was abusing me. But he was also using me to bring my mom back back home from the hospital. Later on, I found out as I became older that she was starving herself and she didn't want to live. The thing that made her desire to live is that phone call mm -hmm. that was forced by a villain yeah. who was being victimizing. But God used it to save her and to bring her back home. Kind of cool never know the the real purpose of what god has for the things that we go through and i appreciate your vulnerability and you sharing that you know that's the first time i've heard that you know so now you know you fast forward a bit mom's taking you to this this week of revival you at that point decide to change your life and i'm gonna guess that it wasn't like a light switch hey what was the transition like going from maybe the crew you rolled with the friends that you had the girlfriend that you had uh into a life where this is what you were going to go after which you were going to see yeah, yeah I, i'd use a big theological word called progressive sanctification <laughs> as as far as what took place but um when i went forward and gave the pastor the my pot and God, my heart, I was all in. It was not halfway. There was no other motivation outside of Jesus. Like that was my my motivation. And when you come to Jesus, he starts um, doing work on your life. And the first thing I knew is I had to, for me, okay, um, I had to say no to whatever he wanted me to say no to. And I had to say yes to whatever he wanted me to say yes to. And it sounds like a no-brainer, right? But how many people really say no to the things he says no to and say yes to the things he says yes to? It's hard to do. 
And I, um, first thing I had to say no to was my girlfriend. Um, I was picking her up at, at like friends houses. Her parents flicked me off, said that four letter word will never enter into our home. They hated me. They hated me. And I was not welcome inside their home with right, with good reason. And uh, the first thing I knew is I could not date her and be in a great relationship with God if her parents hated me. And so I feel like our relationship with man is, is says a lot about our relationship with, with God. And so I wrote, you know, I wasn't like, I was 19. I wasn't like super, I wasn't like Spurgeon or anything. And so I just wrote it like a letter to her mom asking permission to date her and apologizing for some of the things I've done. And then I, I, I chatted with her dad and asked him to forgive me. When I get to hear Jennifer tell the story, she shares at that moment, I thought that's it. But for me, it was like, I, it's it. I wasn't going to go forward without God's blessing on my life. And when we surrender things over to God, it's amazing what he can do with things. And they ended up turning that um, chaotic world into a world where they were like, hey, Christmas is coming up. What, what size clothes does he wear? Let's bring him into the home. And so they ended up loving me. Um, I then proposed. We got married. Uh, it took me about a year uh, to stop smoking weed. You know, like all of my friends were potheads and all of my friends. And so it wasn't a instantaneous stop doing things that I knew I shouldn't do. It was gradual. I would try to listen to Christian music and smoke weed. And I'm like, man, this is not working at all. And uh, it was something that God was patient on, but he was also persistent on where it was like, I got to make a choice. You know, am I going to have the Holy Spirit fill my life or going to have other spirits fill my life? And I'd rather have the Holy Spirit in my life than anything else in my life. Man. And so God moved me away from Kernersville to the borough, which is Greensboro, North Carolina. And I didn't know anybody, worked a different job and progressively um, drugs and alcohol and and the music I listened to no longer was influencing me. Whether the music is okay for somebody else, who knows? But for me, it was influencing my behavior and I had to say no to it. And so does that kind of unpack that question? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think about, man, you were 21 years old when you got married. Yeah, 21. Woo, 21 years old. You now have a 21-year-old. <laughs> yes, <she's been laughs> you know? Married. Yeah, yeah. she's getting married next May to an incredible dude. Amazing, amazing! What a what a circle that has that came to close off, right? Like, you, your dad, you have six amazing kids. I can't, and twenty years between them, like that is that's incredible. You talked a lot about being an intentional father. I want to dive into that. You said you learned what it meant to be an intentional father. And my question is what changed? What changed in your development of maybe, was it right away with the first child? Was it second, third? When was it where you're like, no, like this is on me. This is my responsibility. So I was already a student pastor at a church. So you think you automatically know these. So it makes it a lot easier to give if you're already filling yourself up so you're able to give to another group mm. so i was already you know uh, reading god's word preparing for messages so but it didn't always translate to family but i ended up getting 
connected or influenced by uh, Vadi Bakum and some other, you know, wild Paul Washer and some other guys, they're like, they're harder than I am, a lot harder than I am. But what they said, it brought meaning and value and intentionality inside my heart. And so I had no rhythm for what it looked like. I had no context. Okay. So when you are, you know, have this and now you're a dad and you're in Christianity, you're trying to figure out what is an appropriate rhythm or how do you be a, a spiritual dad and father and influence on your kids? And so I just started reading those books. You know, I started spending as much time as I can learning, like, what does an intentional dad do? And it seemed like family worship was one of those things where the family worshiped together, like once a week or maybe daily, depending on the family. We started having like devotions, you know, around the breakfast table. And these devotions, you know, I went through like two years of uh, long story short, which was just a daily devotion of spending time inside. Long story short, great book, Reformed, but it's a it's a great book. And to me, it's not as like what you use as much as you being intentional and doing something. We started playing like Minute to Win It was super popular. Yeah. So I started getting timers and little games that we'd play in the house and we'd have fun as a as a young family. And uh, that is kind of what it all looked like and uh, as far as like for me. And then I started inviting other couples and families to be a part of what we were doing. And so it was rich. Um, ended up moving around to different places. And every time you move, it's more challenging to have habits. But um, we stuck for the majority of their years inside of those rhythms of of what I would call grace. Yeah. What encouragement would you have to a guy who's listening to this, who maybe grew up without a father, who grew up in abusive situations, without a mentor or a guide, and who finds himself now fathering children thinking about, how do I do this? Like, How am I going to build connection and relationships and guide yeah. these kids in their development? Well, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And so for any dude that's listening, I'd be like, the first thing you got to do is is surrender everything over to God. And so you can't do what you ain't. And so I would encourage you to first be that thing that, that you're pursuing. You know, there's one thing about being a public worshiper. It's a whole nother level to be a private worshiper. Mm-hmm. And so before you try to influence your kids and your wife, allow the Holy Spirit to influence your own life by letting him do inventory on the things that are that are taking place inside of your life. And then the Holy Spirit is so sweet. The Bible is so rich. You know, spend some time reading it. You know, go through the book of John or Matthew or some epistles. It's going to point out all the things. Hey, don't fornicate. Don't look at pornography. Don't lie. You know, uh, in all your ways, acknowledge me and I'll make your path straight. And so if you apply what you read, you'll start being the person that you desire to reproduce. But you can't teach you can, you teach what you know, but you can't reproduce what you ain't. And so it's important for that guy to get real, to say, listen, am I an authentic follower of Jesus Christ? And start there, do the work, get on your knees and start crying out to a God who loves you, receive his forgiveness and start repenting and making your wrongs right. Change the way you think so you can change your future. And so it start there. And and that's a lot. Like even just throwing that down, that that is a a workload. 
Yep. You know, it's like if you say, how do you grow your biceps? You can give maybe five or six things that you eat and sleep and work out. This is a little bit more complicated than, than growing a bicep. It's dying. Yeah. You've got to die, you know, and the the more you die, the more you're like Christ. And then when you become like Christ, it's a whole lot easier to implement discipleship in your life. And so that'd be a starting point. Do you want to go to the next part or should we just, you know, go to the hang next out part? There? Go to the okay. next part. If you're dead, but you've never had a model, you got to find a model. You got to find somebody that you're looking at saying, this dude seems to be doing something that I want to do. And so surround yourself with the people and then cut out the people that ain't leading you the right direction. And so my encouragement would be who's got to go and who's got to come in and guys that are intentional fathers, for the most part, they're going to welcome and invite you into their lives. And so I'm a fan of getting plugged into a church, find some intentional dads, ask them, Hey, do you have family worship? Do you have a devotion time? What does that look like? I need to see it. Um, if, you, if that doesn't work, get a book, you know, find, find uh, some YouTube videos, type in family uh, worship. And so you can understand what that looks like um, for us. You can say, Hey, echo play seeds, family worship <laughs> and echo or Alexa <laughs> or computer will end up playing you um, Bible verses that are great for children to memorize and for us to memorize inside of our lives. And so slowly or immediately transition your life into a life that you're proud of. If God were living inside of your home, that's what I would say is try to put everything underneath the Lordship uh, of God. Amazing. I want to dig into something too. I know you're looking at the clock, but I still want to dig into this. I think it's important. You, you were in the church ministry uh, for a long time. And then you said, in the doors of a church is a lot different than out the doors of a church when it comes to ministry. Now you're the pressure washer preacher, building this amazing business, uh, impacting the lives of others. But what have you noticed in your own uh, ministry, in your own life that has changed making that transition from, you know, within the doors to outside the doors? Man, that is a, a the question you're asking is what have I noted, man, the impact is so much larger outside the church doors. Mm. I would say if you're a pastor and you think that the only place you can minister, I was there, you know, so yeah. like I feel like pastors and churches wreck and do a disjustice to this idea of ministry and calling where they limit it to their ecclesia and their tribe of how they see ministry being done throughout the nations. And what if God has a, a bigger plan that's outside of the your small church and says, man, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. They're not just showing up at your front door. Um, they are in the marketplace. And so the biggest transition is this mindset to say um, the marketplace is a great place to share your testimony to pray with people, to listen to people. Um, it's not evangelism explosion. It is like, how do I love this person that's right here in front of me? I feel like Jesus gave the greatest visual uh, that has ever been taught. He knows this time has come to the end. He knows he's going to be leaving and going to the Father. They're going to send down the Holy Spirit. He knows these things are going to happen. So what does he do? He invites them over for dinner. Mm -hmm. He ends up taking, taking off his outer robe. He grabs a water basin. He ends up getting on his hands and knees and starts washing, takes on the very lowliest role inside of our society, not the highest role. You look inside the church. What's the highest role in the church? 
It's the pastor. The pastor. He's, yeah. he's, he's the top. Yeah. Everybody's washing his feet. But you look at Jesus, he, he gets down, washes his disciples' feet, stands up from the table and says, do you understand what I've done for you? If your Lord and master has washed your feet, you go and wash each other's feet. Hmm. Inside of the marketplace, you have the opportunity to wash people's feet every single day of your life. And so I feel like the greatest advantage is the amount of influence you can have inside of a community, inside of your own team culture. If you grow a business and have team members, not employees, I think almost like if you have Christians that are listening to this podcast and they have a business, maybe for them to even think about, do I run a business that doesn't have an intentional effort to be a disciple and to make disciples? Like, what are we on this planet for? If it's not discipleship, it's not bankroll, it's to make an impact with our lives as we make an income. And so ministry in the marketplace is like this perfect harmonious relationship where it's like impact for the kingdom of God income to support your family and other people's families as well. That's what I've learned. Amazing. As a dad right now, you know, you have, you have a daughter who's going to be getting married soon, but as a dad, what area of growth are you dialed into right now or you're excited about? Wow. So I would say failure growth is my dialed in growth at this moment. When your Mm -hmm. kids are young, you can be a lot more proud about what you've done because they haven't become independent. (laughs) Once they become like everyone's a great dad when their kids are eight. And if you only have one kid, you might be an amazing dad or you might be horrible based on how they behave. But when you got Mm -hmm. six kids, you realize I don't get to take as much credit or as much blame for their success or their failures. And so I would not use the word dialed in. I would use humble, humbled, constantly humbled. I've got three girls and they're all 17 and above and a wife. And so like every day is a day for me to die. And I'm like, why am I not so good at dying? You know, like, so really I feel like, you know, I wake up at three o'clock and start my morning routine. And by the end of the day, I'm exhausted. And it's like, I've got to learn how to be more graceful and loving and caring and quiet and listening and supportive and asking questions and not by the end of the day versus being tapped out. And so I I would say this, the thing that I learned when I was, had young kids is that when you come home, it's not about you, it's about them. And I remember pulling in the driveway, praying and asking God, I have no energy. I need you to give me energy because I got three little girls and a wife who need me. And so my biggest piece of advice is like, when you come home, you're there to serve, to love. You're not sitting in your lazy boy watching ESPN so you can get better at your fantasy football draft, which is, you know, of course, very important, but you're there to love and to steward that which God has given you. So I would say anything is just learning to die daily. And I'm constantly reminded I've got to do it again. I appreciate that. Joshua, if someone wants to hear more from you, connect with you, learn more about what you're doing with uh, the pressure washing and your ministry. Where can they do that? Yeah, pressurewashingpastor.com. It's a site that you're able to schedule a meeting with me right now. In about a, a few weeks, it's going to be transitioned. We've got a large YouTube channel that's picked us up, so it's going to change a little bit. But you'll still be able to get in contact with me at pressurewashingpastor.com. Amazing. Joshua, thank you for taking time in your day to be here today. I appreciate you. Yep. Thank you, brother.
Thank you for joining me today on this episode of the Dad's Making a Difference podcast. I hope you found value in today's show. And if it made a positive impact on you, please share it with someone you know, leave a five-star review, and subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And if you are a father listening to this right now who is driven to build a life of significance, to truly make a difference in the life of your family, in your business, and in the community around you, Go to dmdmastermind.com to learn more about the Dads Making a Difference Mastermind, a mastermind group for fathers that provides men with the skills, the connections, the accountability, the proven steps, and the brotherhood to truly become a dad making a difference. I'm Cam Hall. Thank you for spending time with me today, and I will see you on the next episode of the DMD Podcast.